Mr. Crouch, it's not the work you all do. And I said, what? It's not the work you all do. It's that you came in here and you just love on us and you treat us like friends. Today on Doing Good, the podcast, mobilizing an army of volunteers in the hills of Appalachia. As summer sets in, hammers are swinging, saws are humming, the Appalachia Service Project is back on the job. Dilapidated homes are getting some fresh makeovers, and homeowners are finding hope through relationships with volunteers who truly care. And one by one, we found communities are getting stronger. As you're about to hear, there's something to be learned from this outstanding force for good. Hi, everyone. My name is Susanna. And I'm Elijah. Welcome to Doing Good, the podcast where we and our parents talk about the good that's happening in our community and the people that are making those good things happen. So we actually just kind of sit here until we're told to talk, but we're actually the funny ones, so stick around and listen. everyone. Good morning. It's uh, Dr. Becky Powers, and I'm here today with um, my good friend, Susanna. Also known as your daughter. Okay, yeah. Susanna. Say hi, Susanna. Hey. And Elijah. Also known as hey. your, he's forced to adopt him as his son. <laughs> and, and Mr. Josh Smith. Your BFF. There we go. Did I handle yeah. the titles okay? Yeah, you did. Okay, thanks. I thought, I thought you did good off the cuff. But uh, we are coming to you from Market Street Media today. and Home of the best podcasts. Yes, excellent. So many good podcasts. podcasts. Home. Yeah. And if you Joe Rogan goes here. Are yeah. you looking? Mm-hmm. No, Joe Rogan. Ew. <laughs> Snooze Joe Rogan. No. Don't even. Yeah. Joe Rogan, if you're listening. I just uh, threw up a little in my I'm mouth. With them. <laughs> send, send help. I'm being exploited. This is a good opportunity for us to ask a question I've wondered about. It's time to get real. Your favorite podcasts other than ours. Does anybody podcast listen? Becky, I know you do. I do. I podcast listen. Do you listen to Elijah to podcasts? Um, I'll listen to, they have clips on YouTube. Okay. Susanna, do you? Mm, uh, I, I shouldn't say. Just say no. no. Is, no. <laughs> Is TikTok a podcast? It's not. No, oh, okay. It's not. Seconds. I thought it was mucus. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> are we shouting out our favorite podcasts? What are I we just doing? Completely killed them with the worst dad joke ever. She said it's not, and I said it's not. I thought it was mucus. Oh gosh, he's repeating. <laughs> yeah, he repeated it because she didn't understand it. The I was thinking I was off thinking of like you know. What's your favorite podcast? I I'm thinking of whether or not I want to say what my favorite okay, podcast. Okay, forget Lost that. Culturistas. No, I do love Lost Culturistas. Yeah, that but um, with Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers. Well, what do we do? We shouldn't be promoting other podcasts. That was a horrible question. Well, that's what that's was what going was through thinking. my head. Like, what? We're going to So let's talk about our favorite podcasts that are inferior to ours. No, well, no. My favorite podcast that I actually look forward to now and want to listen to every week is actually called Smartless. And it is. It's like a description? It is Jason Bateman. And um, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett. Oh, good grief! Who, Hilarious. Who are good friends in real life, okay. and I think I think really we're looking for something to do during the pandemic. Yeah. So they started much they started like 
us. Us. Except um, they're famous. Except they're famous and, and do other successful. stuff and have lots of awards. Well, they yeah. have a lot of ads. But anyway, that's my that's the favorite. That's the podcast I look forward to because they are funny. Okay. And they bring um and they bring their friends who um you know are celebrity guests yeah. on. And mm-hmm. sometimes they're not celebrity guests. Like sometimes they're prominent scientists and things like that. Oh, okay. And, um, but that's where Those that's are hilarious people. Yeah, they really are funny people, and they are. And it's <clears> a great. <throat> podcast i like that one okay Susanna doesn't listen to podcasts except for ours and listen to ours Correct. okay and elijah do you listen you do listen to i don't listen to but there are some pretty good joe rogan clips okay. not for joe rogan but he has like some of the best people on why do you not like him becky I just, I don't know. Because she doesn't like, because he's like, Rogan? no, he's not. He's like, That's, he's I want the same thing. Who does Seth Rogen it's play the in fear Shrek? factor Shrek. thing. Yeah. And Seth Rogen just... wasn't in Shrek. He was in something. Seth Rogen he was, was in, in Kung Fu Panda. Seth Rogen was yes, in Superbad. Um, he was one of the cops in Superbad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and Seth Rogen was. He was the baboon or <laughs> in. In Kung Fu Panda, he was. Was it the, uh, was it the praying mantis? He was. No. Uh, what's the name of the boar from? Oh, we the have Lion a fact King? checking from our executive. No, producer. he's not Timon or Pumbaa. Yeah, he is. No, he he's is. not. In the new one. Oh, in the new in the one. Seth Rogen. Yes. Uh huh. Knocked up and uh, long shot, but he was somebody in Kung Fu Panda. He was one of the voices in Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Leighton, uh, this is our executive producer, Leighton, going, y'all, you need to get your facts right. You I feel really like he's do. in Shrek. I really do. He's not in Shrek. <laughs> Pretty serious. We need to have not a movie night and, uh, and, uh, and get to the bottom We're of all not, this. Okay, you're trying yeah. to make me reboot Village Movie Night. I'm just something. saying. Um, we are, Anybody we are, that listens to the podcast is welcome to come to Village Movie Night. Becky hosts the most marvelous, or has in the past, prior to the pandemic, the most marvelous Saturday night fun events at her house. But, no, 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 at her practice, which is a house. There was food. But, there was lots of food. A lot of food. But the pandemic has changed me. Oh, come on. I can okay. no longer find joy. Is your RNA in those screwed up? <laughs> no. no. Don't even. Did the vaccine mess you up? No. no. The trauma of the last 15 months of existence I has you're going to re- changed me at the core. It doesn't I've, make you want to do it I've seen my individual heart of darkness. <laughs> It's honestly not been that bad. (laughs) (laughs) We are about to interview a guest in a few minutes who I think is going to really inspire you. We're talking about our hardship. My goodness. And we're going to hear about how, I mean, it's, it it really is. I think he's, I think it's gonna be great. So um, it's almost time for that. But, but also coming up in a few moments, I don't know if you guys heard, I know we have so many loyal listeners, but our, our last episode, we did debut a new theme song for, um, our game show segment. Did we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Of course did we did. Did you not listen? Yeah. <laughs> and coming up in a moment, you're going to hear it again. I absolutely hope that all of you are dancing along when we go to our So game. we're not going to do our usual segment? Well, I was going to say it's oh. also another sound effect we love is when we think of people who've been oh, caught doing good. good. I didn't I barely hear it. That was very low. Can we yeah. Do I, I, I don't know. Sorry. Anyone know of anyone who was Caught doing good. Oh, there it is. A bit more robust. There it is. Do we remember the word that I said last episode? Uh, Chuggy. Kachugal. (laughs) God bless you. (laughs) Chimichanga. What was? Just just walk it off. (laughs) 
What was it? What was it? I can't remember. Chugi. She literally Chugi. said it. Oh, Chugi. You did remember it. Okay. Which means... Oh, it's become part of my vernacular because I'm sticking with the theory of if I say it, it goes away. Chugi means worn out. Dated. Dated. Yeah. No cap. Both of you. No cap. No kizzy. No kizzy. <laughs> you all are really chugy. You know what's worn out and dated? Your shoes. Your shoes are chugy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think contextually that I was correct. You know what's chugy? What? My colon. <laughs> Honey, why have you been in the bathroom so long? My colon's all chuggy. Caught doing good. Oh, I think you, ladies, like Mr. Josh's God. I'm gonna have. Oh, there went my eyeliner. Okay, um, <laughs> Lijah. Well, who was caught doing good in your world? <laughs> oh gosh, I'm sorry. Um, oh God, I can't imagine how this is gonna sound. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Uh, we are ruining that term for you. I, I just, just forget about it. <laughs> Both of you are absolutely weeping right oh, now. I'm just in tears. <laughs> you know, I the last time I saw Becky do this was when she t- <laughs> you told a story years ago about your middle daughter Katie you you opened the shower door real quickly and Katie was in the shower and she screamed bloody murder remember that story okay well you told that story at a a group gathering and you lost it laughing so hard we were all in tears we were weeping anyway Oh, this this uh, this intro chat's getting really chuggy. Oh, that's bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, this is your fault. Okay, are we going to get anybody oh, caught no. doing good? No, no, no one's doing any good. <laughs> okay, uh, no, I know. You know who's caught doing good? I'm depressed now. Uh, <laughs> Layton's like, please. God, no, that please was Tevi. Our new Okay, Tevi's currently contacting ETSU and saying he wants to do internship. <laughs> Tevi, are you the uh, assistant executive producer or are you the assistant to the, the executive, executive producer? producer? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> He's like, at this point, I'm out the door. Yeah, at this I'm point, leaving. I'm leaving. I'm never going to be a podcast producer. You know who I caught doing good? But, please. Dolly Parton. Of Have course. you ever heard of her? Yeah. But she's got she's doing something else to good. What's that? Okay, like my favorite Dolly Parton song is 
Oh, something about Tennessee um, Mountain yeah. Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that song. Uh, listen to it; it's good. I think uh, there, you should listen. To it. Anyway, she has lent her song to the state of Tennessee because they're doing their 225th anniversary, mm. which we're now celebrating 225 years at this marvelous state that we call home. And Dolly Parton lent her song to them to use for free, which. Reminded me that so many people would not even think of letting somebody use their song. And she's like, just here. I've got about 130 others. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Dolly Parton said, take my song and celebrate my state. I think that's called doing good. That's generous. Dolly Parton finally is, decided to do something good with her life. Is, you know, is the queen of doing good of Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Because we really need to go to our guest, Walter. No. Crouch. Uh, you have a caught doing good, Elijah. Uh, sure. Who? Uh, who did you caught doing good? <laughs> it's really bad grammar, but <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I, well, I catched uh, my my grandmother. Oh, who listens your, to your this mom. podcast? Yeah, your mom. Your mom. mom. <laughs> my your mom. mom. <laughs> your mom. Who? Your mama. <laughs> Sorry. Your mama. Yeah. Who? What did she do? Because uh, I, I. Well, care. because she basically cooks entire meals for us, like oh, two yeah. course meals yeah. every single night night for us, and like mm-hmm. I don't know, she's just. Very underappreciated for that. I agree. Yeah, she loves doing it, and so she doesn't make it seem like a big deal. But it, you know, it, it is, and yeah. so we oftentimes forget about that. Yeah, we, so. you know, we're, we're, sometimes we realize she's there still, and we're like, yeah. yeah. So if you're listening, Grandma, thank you. Love you. And also, I want, I want chicken and dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> And now, and tonight, as we speak, the woman's putting down yeah. her iPhone and going like to start going making dumplings. Yes, yeah. yes. Becky, Susanna, round us out, and then we got to bring in Walter. Okay, short and sweet. I'm a professional at this. Mine is my <laughs> tennis coach, Coach Click, because oh, yeah. I absolutely love her. She's just so patient and fun, and like she is she chill. Yes, chill. She's the opposite of. And she Chewy. was she was very much there for us this season, like. Okay. Just loving on us Aww. and making sure that we had a great time. Because tennis, the whole point of tennis at all is about the night school is just to have fun. She's cool. I thought it was winning That's the best way to describe her. She's just cool. <laughs> okay. She's cool. She's kind of like one of the, like us teenagers. She's nope. the coolest. <laughs> okay. Uh, Becky, how about you? Okay. So I have put a lot of thought into this. <clears throat> and I would like to shout out um, the Elizabethan High School. Uh, president of the student council. Her name oh. is Mackendra Norris. Okay. And the reason why I would like to shout out Mackendra Norris is because she really has done a lot of good things mm-hmm. um, for the school and for the community. She has. <clears throat> and she deserves to be shouted out. But specifically, I thought her, she had to give a graduation address. And I thought her graduation address was on point. Oh, good. Um, it, it really talked about, I mean, everybody talked about the pandemic, like any kind of school wrap up thing this year mm-hmm. was about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, she said, you know what? We've learned from this pandemic. She said, we've learned how to overcome. Mm. And that's, that's something we, we <clears throat> celebrate. That's wisdom from an 18 year old. And, and so, yeah, we can talk about all these things and how hard it was and how it was all these first and blah, blah, blah. But what we really learned was how to overcome. 
I love that. And and I said, Kendra, I'm going to make you listen to this now. And and <laughs> and it was the address was less than about three minutes. And oh, I said, golden. you go, sister. You go, sister. And, so, <laughs> and you know what the last thing she said was? She said, congratulations, class of 2021. We did it. And yeah. it was cute. Yeah. I love it. So it, I'm, I'm giving that shout out to McKendra Norris because, you know, she does a lot of good, but also her graduation address. I think it was it was right. The penultimate graduation address. It was short and oh so sweet and poignant. And, I love it. And and right. Speaking of overcoming, we have overcome this chat segment, and we are now moving to our guest. Stop. <laughs> Who couldn't be chuggy if he tried. Welcome, everybody. Walter Crouch. Hello, and we're back, and we're here with Walter Crouch with the Appalachia Service Project. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? Great. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Walter's an excited man because after a year of, yes, uh, sorry, we can't help you, right. you're, you're in go mode, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Last year was the first time in our 52-year history that we had to cancel our summer program. Oh, no. Yeah, of hosting Why, Walter? What was going on? Uh, I don't know. Something... Was there a pandemic or something? Did you go to Myrtle Beach or something? For the whole summer. Yeah. For the whole summer. Oh, uh, boy. I mean, a year ago. Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember sitting down and making an eight-inch, uh, eight-minute video, stop to finish, one take, telling our 500 churches across the nation that we were canceling summer. Yeah. It was the hardest thing that I had ever done in my life, I think, almost. Yeah. So it was really oh, crazy. Heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the the bad thing about it was, you know, all the families we work with across the five states that we operate in, I mean, to be to tell them, no, we're not going to be there. They're going to have to wait another year to get their homes repaired. A lot of these families are elderly. They're, right. they're physically challenged and they can't do it. They can't afford to do it. And so live to tell them they have to live another year with a leaking roof or a floor that's fallen in, things like that was really hard thing to do. Yeah. It, it really was, uh, uh, probably, uh, as I said, probably the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do professionally. Walter, I'm making me feel very guilty that when he was doing that video, I was really bummed because we couldn't have social gatherings. <laughs> yeah, little bit of a of reality yeah, check. I yeah. mean, because for a lot of people, it felt different for different reasons. Right. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. were you were staring at the hard reality of of the lack of Appalachia Service Project at work during right. the summer months, and I know that's the focus. But yeah. <laughs> well, and bringing people into the area too to kind of experience oh, yeah. um yeah, yeah experience the region and what the region has to offer but also the extraordinary needs of the region so. yeah it it you know it, it's interesting i you know we were of course bemoaning the fact that we weren't able to help families and then i had a youth minister from connecticut connect uh contact me and say walter it's not just the families it's these youth we bring in the summer right you know, that they need this experience that yeah. is life transformational for them. And uh, that, you know, as soon as you can crank up again, please do, we'll be there, right? Yeah. And so so they are coming this summer. Oh, yeah, thank God we're we're back on track and uh, we are going to have a summer program this summer, but it's it's going to be way down from previous years. We, uh, we usually have 12 to 13,000 volunteers in the summer across the five states we operate in. Wow. And uh, this year we'll have about 4,000. And we are actually not going to have any summer centers in North Carolina. We've had to cut back because, because you know, we only, yeah, so, yeah. so a lot of, uh, a lot of 
preparation. We prepared for the worst, but I think vaccinations have made it to where, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, we'll have a pretty decent and safe summer. Mm-hmm. At least we're hoping so, and uh, and we'll go from there. But uh, I know I kind of jumped ahead. You no, know, while well, we jumped summer, ahead so. with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I was talking about Myrtle Beach. So right. uh, <laughs> Josh's brain is on the ocean. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us, Walter, about um, kind of the history of Appalachia yeah. Service Project. Yeah, we began in 1969. Wow. Uh, Glenn Tex Evans, a United Methodist minister who was uh, over uh, with a ministry that's over in the Barberville, Kentucky area, Mm -hmm. uh, decided that uh, he was going to try to bring the passion of youth, teenagers, and combine it with the the housing needs of low-income families. One of the late 60s. Yeah, late 1969. Wow. I think we're one of the oldest, actually, Mm -hmm. organizations like this. And uh, that first summer, he got like 50 youth. They worked on four homes. And it was, uh, that was the beginning. And so, as I said, we went from 50 youth and four homes to 12,000 and 500 homes uh, in our growth over the 50 some years that we've been together. Mm. And how does the, how does the service project um, sustain itself? Yes, well, there's a couple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we have what we call mission fees. <laughs> you know, we call our volunteers volunteers, but they actually pay us right. to uh, feed them and put them up overnight, uh, provide materials for the projects. Uh, we do evening programming that pays for our staff, things like that uh, uh, that that they do while they're in the field. So, so what we call mission fees. Plus, then we have. An incredible. We probably have about sixteen thousand donors mm-hmm. on our on our donor file, and so our donors support us. and And really, our donor support over the last three or four years has just been incredible. It's just really increased leaps and bounds. And then a number of grants and mm-hmm. things like that, both from private foundations and from federal agencies and things like that that mm-hmm. we use. So we kind of combine it all together and put our budget together every year and then see if we can spend it all. Right. I mean, because we're a nonprofit, we try to mm-hmm. do business, good business practice. I mean, we try to retain some retained earnings just, you know, in case of emergency mm-hmm. like last year. Um, but by and large, whatever we bring in, we try to spend every yeah. year. So. Okay. And what is the mission of the, the service project? Yeah, yeah well, our mission, you know, and, and I'll say our mission statement, it gets kind of trite, I think, sometimes when executive directors run around and they just quote the mission statement. It seems so sterile when you do it that way. I mean, our, our mission really is about changing lives, mm-hmm. okay? Our, our founder once said that we are a relationship ministry with a little construction on the side. Mm-hmm. And, and that really is who we are because our mission isn't really to fix homes or, or anything like that. Our mission statement reads that, that ASP is a Christian ministry open to all people uh, that performs or that, that does repairs and replacement uh, of, of homes in central Appalachia. And the reason we do that is to inspire hope and service. Mm-hmm. And so our mission really is to inspire hope mm-hmm. with families who have no hope sometimes and then to inspire service in the lives of our volunteers so that it changes their perspective on life. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, when we, when we repair a home, it will fall down again someday. Sure. Right. But if you change the perspective of an individual mm-hmm. on life, when they discover that life really is about giving mm-hmm. rather than getting, mm-hmm. and they see that they, they get out there and they serve up some holler <laughs> in hot Eastern Kentucky somewhere sweating to death, mm-hmm. but they, feel so satisfied and fulfilled inside and then they wonder what caused that 
And then we help them to see, well, what caused it was you're serving. You volunteered, right. and you're serving. And that changes their perspective, and they want to feel that the rest of their life, so what do they do? They live a life of service mm-hmm. rather than a life of selfishness. Mm. So, so that, I think, is our biggest mission is that because that's eternal, where the home that we repair – probably fall down still again temporary. yeah still yeah. temporary mm. okay you're totally coming at this in a way that i was not coming at this because <laughs> i'm thinking of you're helping people yeah. you're totally talking about the work that you're doing in the lives of your volunteers yes. right. and yes. that is a that's a whole different yes. aspect of this that i was my brain yeah. wasn't in that lane yeah. that yeah. that you are because you're right i mean when you taste that mm-hmm that delicious moment of doing good and yes. really doing good yes. and not doing good because somebody's watching. Right. But doing good because, uh, and it's not about you. Right, right. Has nothing to do with you. Right. That can change the course of it. Oh, That's yeah. why Dr. Becky wanted to do this podcast because <laughs> it's a, it's something worth celebrating right. and telling others about and encouraging people to. Yeah. But then you do have the recipient. Oh, yes, of course. Well, right. and it changes yeah. their life, too. Oh, I mean, oh, imagine huge. you're somebody who is living in a house that the roof is leaking constantly. Yes. And every time it rains, you dread the rain. Yes. You, you know, and you, and, and it's very easy in those circumstances to lose hope. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and oh. so you figure some, so a team of, you know, healthy, vibrant teenagers who could be doing anything else in the whole world um, that summer. They could be at the beach, they could be partying, they could be, you know, they could be doing anything else, but they choose to come to your house and fix your roof. Mm-hmm. That's right. What kind of message of hope is that for the people who are, who are actually getting the beneficiary of that um so it's um yeah and i'm familiar i'm from oklahoma and Mm -hmm. we had a program much like this called youth force um Mm -hmm. and it was a church camp experience but the church camp was moving out into the community Mm -hmm. and doing work around the communities so yeah yeah. appalachia service project a much bigger project than that but i just a quick story that kind of shows that i was in leslie county kentucky Mm -hmm. and uh and it was early one morning, and I actually arrived at a work site before this group from, they're actually from Westboro, uh, Massachusetts, oh. outside of Boston. Mm. And uh, I wanted to, uh, to, to greet one of their people that was there and congratulate them on, like, I think it was her 15th year of service, coming and serving with us. And, and uh, so I arrived early, and it was, a, it was a mobile home, an old mobile home that we had completely refurbished i mean new porches new underskirting uh new insulation and siding a new roof over we'd replaced floors inside i mean this was a total makeover project from the outside you would not know that that mobile home was almost 50 years old Mm -hmm. right i mean that's how all the work that we had done and so i'm waiting for the group and while i'm standing there the window above me (laughs) opens up and the i I didn't even think about knocking on the door and 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 greeting the family i was going to wait till the the volunteers got there to introduce me to the family that's what the way i usually do it Mm -hmm. but i beat them to sight that morning and so the window opened and the woman of the home and I'll just call her Mary. We we use anonymous names for for all of our families to you know, to respect their privacy. She leans out the window and she sees I have an ASP shirt on, and she looks down and she says, "You must be from the main office." And it caught me by surprise. I looked up and I said, <laughs> "Well, yes, I am." And she's and uh, 
And anyway, we started chit-chatting. You know, it was a beautiful morning, that kind of thing. And, and then she looks at me, and, uh, and I said something like, you know, we, we're, we're so proud to have done a lot of good work on your home. And she, uh, she looked at me, and she said, Mr. Crouch, it's not the work you all do. And I said, what? It's not the work you all do. It's that you came in here, and you just love on us, mm. and you treat us like friends. And man, that just hit me in that moment that despite all the incredible work we did to make their living conditions better, mm-hmm. what meant the most to her was that we came and treated them like friends, like equals, that we didn't look down on them because of their poverty, that we treated them with respect and, uh, and befriended them. And that made all the difference in the world mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I understood more later when... Mm-hmm. I met their severely autistic son and the issues that the family itself was going through. And uh, at one point she said to me, she said, we, we have a lot of neighbors that don't treat us as well as you all treat us. And it is the relationship factor. It is that connection. And I think that's what gives hope, that we are showing you have value. Mm-hmm. Right? right? Somebody cares about We have, you know, you have value. Mm-hmm. And people will travel from... I mean, this group was from Boston, mm-hmm. right, the Boston area, you know, to Leslie County, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and work on a home and make friends. And a lot of our volunteers make lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a, a lawyer over in North Carolina that you go in his office, and he's been serving with ASP like 30 years. And he has pictures of every family every summer that he served with on their sites and maintains contact with every one of those wow. families. Wow, right, so it's a true relationship. Yeah, true relationship. So in that moment, you're doing something way bigger than putting on a roof. That's yes. Way, and, that's, and that is establishing a relationship. But it's also dignity. You know, yes. I mean, a yes. lot of times you don't, we don't know the dignity we have in ourselves until we see it in the eyes of somebody who's looking yeah. at us. So you're imparting dignity to these people that you're you're helping them to see the dignity that's already there yes Uh, Yes, that's right and and, and because i would think for many of them they've forgotten right that they were right yeah wonderful yeah Yeah. creations of god that they were just fine you know yeah we don't give them value it's already we're just recognizing the value value. that's already there yeah and i think as you said i think that helps them to recognize the value that they have again it's incredibly vulnerable it's an incredibly vulnerable moment to allow someone into your home. Yes. I don't care where you live. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. if yeah. Oprah lets me come in her house, yeah. it's a moment of vulnerability yes, for Oprah. Is. That's right. That she says, welcome in and see how I live. For some of these people, they must be terribly yeah. troubled yes. themselves by, yes. you know, oh, yeah. I, I've yes. been in homes before where they said, yeah. I'm sorry, but you can't, yeah. you can't go to the, that bathroom. That's right. And and you probably are having to work through your volunteers with that, where yes. you're going to see some things That's that are right. going to be hard. Right. Yeah, it it really is. Uh, first of all, it's a difficult, humbling experience for a number of our families, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and I have to say, I mean, I mean, especially with a lot of the men of the home, mm-hmm. it's more difficult for them to allow us into their home. Mm-hmm. There is a pride factor. We all have that pride factor. You said you, you're very vulnerable in that moment. But in most of our applications, we, we actually looked at this. I, I think it was like over 80% of our applications were filled out by the wife or mother in right. the home, right? Because what? They're raising children. They're trying to make a home. They see 
that there's a need here that that no matter where my pride is, I need to set it aside so my children can live a healthier life, a mm-hmm. better life, and a better home. So there's that side of it. Then there's the other side of it where, I mean, a, a lot of our, uh, especially in our summer volunteers, come from the upper northeast, come from the upper Midwest, come from the Washington, D.C. area. And, you know, they're mostly all upper middle class kids, mm-hmm. some rich kids, too, mm-hmm. that, that, that come. And this is their first time ever being in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they just, the first couple days, it is just like culture shock for them. It really is. And it, and it really puts them in this uh, kind of disheveled moment that really is a teachable moment, though. It really it makes them vulnerable in that moment. You're talking about the volunteers. The volunteers. They're so off their center. They're so <laughs> off center. And, and, you know, and the group leaders that have come many years, the adults that come with them, you know, tell them, hang in there, hang in there. And then by about Wednesday or Thursday, all of a sudden, the lights come on, right? It's like, these are just other human beings that haven't had the fortune that I've had. And they have value, and they're people, and they find out most of the time that they're kind, wonderful people, just like folks they know, just from a different part of the country. And then everything just changes. But you have to get past those first couple days. When, when, When a youth comes the first couple days... I mean, there's some sites that I go in still after, you know, 12 years of doing this that I'm like, oh, my, you know, and then I have to adjust and and let myself acclimate Mm -hmm. for a few minutes. And then I can relax a little bit because I still run into things that shock me. Mm. uh, They really do shock me that Mm. I mean, when I tell people every summer we still put in first time bathrooms. Mm -hmm. They look at me like I'm lying. Mm-hmm. And I'm You're like, talking about homes where they have been using outhouses? Outhouses. Yes. Oh, and then, I mean, a big part of our re- repairs for many years was repairing outhouses. Right? Really? I mean, you know, and then, of course, that kind of went away. But we still, I mean, I, I think of a family that's in uh, Pike County, uh, Kentucky, and it was a grandmother and a grandfather and four of their grandchildren were living with them because both parents were in prison on drug charges. And uh, they had an outhouse out there that was just overflowing. It was a two-room building, two rooms. I had to duck down when I went inside because the ceiling height wasn't even six foot. Mm-hmm. What it was was a converted kind of old farm building that the grandparents had lived in for years. And then they had these grandchildren come in. They were all sleeping on mats on, in, on the floor in one room. There was a single light bulb, literally a single light bulb hanging in the middle of the room for light. You went in another room that they kind of used as a living area. And then all of a sudden I started noticing there were crates up along the walls. And they had canned food because that's all they could keep because of pest infestation in the house. Right. They had canned food. They were literally opening cans and eating out of cans and using an outhouse that had not been refurbished or pumped out or anything for years. I I mean, when people are still living in those kinds of circumstances, and for these grandparents, I mean, it was fine. That was the life they always knew. It was good for them. But they finally reached out for help. They didn't reach out for help, actually. Somebody reached out on their behalf. Somebody reached out on their behalf because those 
you know, they were open to it, though, because now they have these four grandchildren, though, and they didn't want their grandchildren living in those circumstances. So we went in and added a bedroom and raised the ceiling and, and, and arranged to tie their septic system into a neighbor's septic system. I probably shouldn't say that oh. out loud here, you know, because, well, because You're with there's friends, no, Walt, don't worry. That's right. Yeah, well, there was no way we could put a septic system on, on, on their, their property. property. It just yeah. wouldn't work. And, you know, and the grandparents didn't want to lose their children. And so, so we did a lot of work there. And we, uh, we put bunk beds in for the kids. <laughs> I'll never forget Velma looking at me and saying, this will be the first time those kids have ever slept on a bed of their own. Mm. And I was just. You, you know, I mean, we, we and my kids, they can't imagine that kind of a devastation. Yeah. They really can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it, it's astounding. And, and what, what comes over me in waves is, is people still are living in these conditions yes. and we don't see them, right? right? They're hidden. They're hidden. They're yes. silent. And they do that on purpose, right? right? Yes. And, um, and and there's just so much need in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. It's, it's just a, sh- a shame to me that so many families are hesitant to reach out for help. Right. Because they're afraid they will lose their children yeah. if they reach out for help. Yes. Right, and so it's it. The system defeats itself, as you said. Mm-hmm. They hide then, mm-hmm. and and their conditions worsen because they don't have the resources to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to repair their homes or do what needs to be done. And so it's kind of this catch twenty two system that just you know it, it's awful. And so we'll come in and we'll say, look, we're here to help you. Right. And now. Get careful using the word help, right? Because right. yeah. we all need help at different times. Okay. Their help just happens to be, you know, their home is not in you can good see repair. It. You right. can see it. I mean, I need help. And just because someone needs help doesn't mean they're less valuable than anyone you need else. Help. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, believe me, I know the areas I need help in, right? <laughs> so mine are hidden and might be worse, right? Yeah, so, right. But, uh, but, you know, it, it is a shame, though, that our system kind of works that way. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's punitive Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, my wife and I and, and one of our daughters have been involved in the foster system mm-hmm. and, and, in Tennessee. And I, I really do think the plight of our children in this country and the way we work on it is one of the bigger issues. People ask me, you know, what's your passion? You know, and the first thing they think I'm going to talk about is ASP. And I always talk about the plight of children yeah, in improving, this country. Improving the plight yeah, of children. Improving the plight of children. Home, not homeless children, our foster system, uh, adoption, right. things like that, that, that we have all, we've been personally involved in. Uh, I, I just think that is, for me, the number one social issue we have in this country, for me, is it's all about our you children. You and Dr. Becky will be friends for life because <laughs> she feels the same way, I know. I, it, it is, and children living in poverty yes. or children without good access to care, it, yes. um, it, it's astounding, um, but... You know, Appalachia is is its unique part. Poverty is worldwide. That's I mean, right. You can go into the streets That's of New right. York City and find That's deplorable right. conditions yes. that people are living yes. in. One of the things, as a native Appalachian, I have 
thought for years, and I'm curious your take on this, is that, that here there is a resilience mm-hmm. that comes from generationally mm-hmm. living. And, and I, you mentioned those grandparents, right. you know, and, and an ability to tolerate and make right. it through. Right. There's also, <laughs> I think, this fierce independence. Yes, and individualism. Fierce yes. individualism. And we're, we're, we, we are seeing it manifest in so many ways, politically and with the yes. pandemic yes. and with the vaccine. Yes. No, I mean, it's coming to the forefront. And to admit you need help right. Right. is really not in us. Just, yeah, it's it is like, difficult. I will die trying yes. to make it on my, yes. before I ask for help. Yes. So you have families here who do, I imagine, are asking for help. Or somebody's, how do these families get to you and get yes. to that point yeah. that they're willing to open their door and let some kid from Boston right. come in and work on their bathroom? Yeah, yeah I mean mostly we have what we call community contacts in all the communities we work in. And a lot of times these are principals of schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could be social agencies that are already at work and mm-hmm. stuff. And then we have, we have our application forms with those folks. So when they run into people and, and then begin to understand maybe their living conditions, they might suggest, hey, there's an organization that can help you fix that leaky mm-hmm. roof. And here's their application. Or they can go online and, and fill out an application as well. And so that's mostly, it's mostly referral, you know, from our community contacts or other families that we've helped. I mean, because once you help one family up a holler somewhere <laughs> or, or in parts of Johnson City or Charleston, West Virginia or wherever, it's not just rural, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is some, I mean, it's hard to think of Johnson City as being more metropolitan, but it certainly is yeah. in, in our area of the country. But uh, but once you do a project in a neighborhood somewhere, you know the word gets out, right? And mm-hmm. then other people will put in applications. And uh, and by the way, we, I mean, we have over six thousand unserved applications on file. Six thousand. Yes, and we we call those every third year. If we haven't served them, they fall off. So that's a three-year rolling number of applications that we have and we help normally about 500 families a year so you can see i mean there's the the need is so much greater Mm -hmm. than our ability uh, to deal with the need i mean it really is so So you're talking about doing some skilled labor here too i mean you're talking about doing building so Mm -hmm. you need to have somebody who's a skilled carpenter Mm -hmm. and you're talking about tying in a septic system so you need to have somebody who's a plumber and you're talking about this one naked light bulb and i assume you're trying to bring things up to code um so you're talking about electrician work and you're talking i mean you're talking about skilled labor here so where does that expertise come from for you guys well we we have volunteers we match volunteers to their skill level Mm -hmm. okay and then you know and and they kind of rate themselves under their own application when they come to serve and we try to match them up with projects that's one way for most of our more technical and more skilled things like electricity and plumbing hvac work things like that we hire contractors i mean we bring contractors in to do that once in a while Though we'll have the good fortune of having, uh, you know, a plumber on a crew right when we need a plumber on a crew Mm -hmm. at a certain home. We'll have an electrician on a crew right when we need an electrician on a crew on a job. Now, I'm, you know, divine providence, I don't know how that works, but it just seems to fall in place for us Mm. 
year after year after year after mm -hmm. year. And that saves us money. Of course, sure. when we hire a contracting firm, it just costs more because they have overhead and things like that that they have to meet. Where if all of a sudden you have a plumber that can fix that toilet quickly um, on the job site right when you need it, then you save yourselves lots, uh, lots, lots of money. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen our youth and unskilled volunteers do stuff you ne they never thought they would ever be able to do. I I've seen crews of inexperienced folks go up and do a roof over of putting like metal sheeting over an, an old shingled roof, right? Mm -hmm. And and do it in a week and stand down there and look and say, look what we did. We, did. <laughs> we, made a we put a roof on a house. We did it. We did it, mm -hmm. you know? Yes, we didn't know what we were doing, but we figured <laughs> it out. Right. That's, That's right. great. Well, and we have our staff will come out and check sure. on the site every day. And we have what we call construction consultants that will drop by and tell them what to do. And then we have a construction manual. We have tons of construction videos that, 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 that they'll even pull up on their phone, right? when you're on the site, right? And right. it's like, oh, put this screw here, you know, that thank kind of thing. Thank you, so. God, for YouTube. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, and thank God for new cell towers and stuff throughout right. oh, yeah. throughout Appalachia. Right. Because when I first started with ASP, I mean, I had no cell service most of the time when I was in southern West Virginia, mm -hmm. let's yeah. say. Right. But now... We have self-service everywhere, and it's really changed a lot. Yeah. And it's also opening the eyes up of Appalachia to the yes. world that they don't have. Yes. You know, you don't know yes. that you're in misery until you see that somebody, somebody yeah, has yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. I, for, I think back to my, my Appalachian relatives had no contact really other than what they saw on television. Right. Prior right. to that, they right. had no concept of the yeah. fact that some people lived worse and some yes. people lived better. Live better. Yeah. Their worlds have opened up, and that's great, but it comes with it, There's uh, a price, a, a, though. A price you know, we're... You know, parts of rural Appalachia, we're losing a lot of our workforce, mm -hmm. our younger workforce. They're like, oh, there's a world out there. That's right. I'm out of here. Yeah, and there's right. greatness in that. That's, that's right. wonderful. No, you got to yeah, do that. But. Don't hold anyone back. But I, I do respect those that will go and then come back. And, and come you back. see that a lot, too, where they go. They, they have a career. They make. Uh, a few dollars come back and then try to make where they grew up a better place mm -hmm. to live. And, and, you know, honestly, for me, there's not a better place to live than Central Appalachia. Yeah. I mean, the people are some of the best people you ever meet in this world. Uh, I know when I moved from Texas to East Tennessee, uh, at first I was at Carson Newman for many years, Carson Newman University. And, and you know, I, the people were the friendliest people I ever ran into, the kindest people down to earth, independent, no doubt, very independent, but yet very accepting of me and would do anything, give you the shirt off their back and not even know you if you needed it. And so it is a great place to live and it's a beautiful place to live, right? Mm -hmm. And there's just pockets of poverty still that, you know, we have to work around and work through and, and hopefully someday eliminate. Yeah. All right. Walt, you have a 17-year-old, Ashley. She's with yes. us here as a guest. So hello, Ashley. But now, and you also work with young people every day. Yes. So are you prepared for what is next? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Our teen hosts are coming in, and they're starting it off with the game. Let's roll it. All, All right. right. All right. Good morning, Mr. Crouch. Thanks for being with us today. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's really nice to meet you. My name's Susanna. Hi, My name's Susanna. Elijah. Hey, Elijah. So before we get into learning about the ASP, we want to know a little bit about you. So we're going to ask you a few would-you-rather questions. Oh, okay. I'm going to kick it off with the basic one. Would you rather be able to fly or be invisible? Invisible. Okay. Invisible. Yeah, I think so. I think that would come in handy. Yeah, I don't know, though. You know, I, I might disappoint myself in <laughs> listening to people that didn't know I was around, right? True. Things like that. I'm not sure True. if I would like that, honestly. It's yeah. good to know, though. <laughs> yeah, it would be good to know, but still. Yeah. yeah. 
Alright, would you rather put an end to all war or end all world hunger? World hunger. Yeah, I feel like that probably would be. Yeah, world hunger. I mean, war's an awful thing, right? And it's horrible, but, you know, I believe in diplomacy and negotiation, things like that. But hunger is such a hard thing to overcome because you're at the will of the forces of nature, famine, things like that in many parts of the world. And the world economy is kind of uneven across the world as well. And it's going to be hard to fix that on a larger scale where hopefully we can, everybody can see the danger of war. A lot of times hunger goes unseen. Yeah. Yeah. And you've seen it firsthand. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, both of these sound so terrible to me, but would you rather eat an entire jar of mayonnaise or drink a cup of hot sauce? Wow. (laughs) Wow. I love mayo. Um, Have you ever put sugar on mayonnaise on a piece of bread and eaten it? No. Oh, no. I don't don't plan to. No, I've done that. I grew up. Well, I grew up kind of poor myself, and I actually had mayonnaise sandwiches quite often. Okay. so, So I guess eat a jar of mayonnaise. I, I don't know. Hot sauce makes me cough so much. I'm afraid I would just, you know, permanently damage my throat or something. So eat the mayonnaise. Okay. <laughs> All right. Would you rather explore space or the ocean? Space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was, I was a tricky, you know, growing up and I love Star Wars and you know, I love the Marvel stuff and all that. So, uh, you know, space, just the great unknown, right? Um, so I, I I don't know. And, and honestly, I, hopefully in my lifetime, it probably won't happen. But it'd be nice to know if there's other life out there somewhere, right? And yeah. uh, uh, some things like that. We know so little, really. Um, Did you ever have aspirations to become an astronaut? I had aspirations to become a pilot at one point and I got all my ground school in and stuff and like I said I kind of grew up without a lot of money and I couldn't afford to get the hours that you need in the air you know to solo and then go from there so I had my ground school and passed that test but I just never got further than that that's cool though um so would you rather have a pool full of jello or a marshmallow trampoline Oh, marshmallow tramp- trampoline. <laughs> no, I'm not a big Jello fan. I really not. But okay. marshmallows? Are you kidding? Love marshmallows. Love s'mores. Yeah. Love that stuff. So yeah, I mean, be a little sticky, but you know, I jump in there and eat and swim my way around. Yeah. So it'd mm-hmm. be good. Would you rather be stuck on an island alone or with someone who talks incessantly? <laughs> oh my! Oh my! I live with someone who talks incessantly. <laughs> Really? <laughs> it might be good to escape that sometime, but um, golly, that's a that's a tough one because nobody likes to be alone either, right? right? So I guess I would put up with all the talking. I guess someone who talks incessantly if just you, to have someone else there. If exactly. it came down to yeah. it, if it came down to it, you could eat them though. That's right. Yeah, that's right. If you got hungry, them. you yeah, could. Uh, yeah, yeah. They no. still would have a purpose. They, that's right. They're, I would start to be be afraid to go to sleep at night myself sometimes though so <laughs> they're still talking their sleep yeah uh, well not that but i might start looking appetizing to them as well so <laughs> all right you ready to jump into i think so yeah i it was really interesting hearing what yeah. you were talking about because i've always been interested about um this community yes. as well because 
you never really see it. Like I'm an, an Elizabethan, and right. you you do see some extent to it, maybe right. greater than Johnson City. Right. But I've I've had a couple times where I've gone out into these these haulers, right? You'd say right. You and you just you take a road and you just keep going and you get farther and farther, like back where you would think there would be no communities, and there are still people there. Yes. And the farther you go, like you'll just find pockets of deep poverty yes. that you just yes. you completely forget that they're just miles away from yes. yeah. incredible wealth as well yeah 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 i mean washington county this area johnson city tri-cities area um i know there's rebranding going on trying to call it appalachian highlands things like that i i probably less than three miles from where we sit we found a woman who hadn't had running water in over 25 years, did not have a working bathroom or a kitchen in her home. This was six, seven years ago. Her name's Becky. And uh, less than three miles from where we sit right here in downtown Johnson City. So I think people would be surprised if they actually got out there and traveled around and looked. Because we went in and drilled a very expensive well because she was kind of on the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, to get her water, got a septic system in for her, built the kitchen for her. I asked her, I said, Becky, what does this mean for you? And she says, it means I get to bake cookies with my grandkids. Because she didn't have a kitchen before or anything. So we built a kitchen and all of that. And that's less than three miles from where we are right here. Well, I think it would surprise folks. I think that's something that's not talked about enough. Like, it's really all around us. Poverty is... Yes. It's it's hidden in this area, but it's big. Yeah. If you had to take a stab on it, um, what percentage would you say in this area is impoverished or need help? Yeah, well, uh, you know, of course, nationally they, they publish poverty rates. And so, you know, it, it, they would say in this area it's probably... In Washington County, one of our wealthier counties in East Tennessee, I don't know, it's probably 15%, something like that. Um, But, you know, there are places less than, well, if you go over, let's say, to Hancock County, you know, and we're talking 40 miles from here, you know, I mean, the poverty rate's probably getting closer to 25 to 30%. So, you know, one out of every three or four people you meet is living in poverty in that county. So, and it's not far from here at all. No, it's not. Yeah. So, so it's an eye-opener. You know, the average median income in this area right here, you know, I think the numbers are more around $44,000 a year or something. Mm-hmm. You go over to Hancock County, the average median income is like $21,000, less than half of what it is here in, in Washington County. And why is that? Well, no industry. I mean, honestly, you know, Hancock County is a beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever been over there. It mm-hmm. is just a gorgeous county. And uh, there's just no industry. And a lot of that has to do with there's no, there's, it's limited accessibility. I mean, I don't know if you've driven over there, but be ready for a lot of hairpin turns and all of that to get into Sneedville. There's just no good highway system to get yeah. in and out with ease. And so in the work base, there, there are good people over there, but, you know, industries have to go to where they can get the kind of workforce that they need and things like that and have easy accessibility for their trucks and stuff like that to come in and out. And so it's just, it's a beautiful place, but it's so isolated. Right. It really is. 
um, for many years, and it might be even this past year, I mean, Hancock County, there's 95 counties in Tennessee. Hancock County was number 95 economically. Wow. And that's just, like I say, 40 miles from here. You know, you have the poorest county in the state of Tennessee. I mean, wonderful people. Uh, they do, they recently, with the, you know, a couple programs they put together, they have a new call center over there. See, with technology now, being able to reach past the lack of roads, now they have accessibility through technology. And so they have a call center, and they're trying to work on things to, that will, you know, high-speed internet, things like that, that will get them past the barrier of the mountains that surround the county. That's that's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. the... Appalachia Service Project has worked in Hancock County. Yes. Oh, we, yes. Yeah. We work there. We're building new houses there right now. In fact, we just dedicated another new house there uh, last week, Uh, gave the keys over to the homeowner, a project of 11 new homes that we've built there over the past year. And then our summer program operates there almost every summer, and we'll probably work on another 20 to 25 families, homes doing repair each and every summer over there. We love Hancock County. Mayor Tom over there is a great guy. He's he's a really tall guy. He's about 6'10", played basketball at LMU, and uh, he's, he's a great guy and loves ASP. And so we love him as a partner. We like working over there in Hancock County where there's a great need. That's awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. So if you join the program, is it eight weeks for the summer? Yeah, well, I mean, our volunteers during the summer usually come for a week. Okay. You, you arrive on a you you know you arrive on a on a Sunday and then you leave on a Saturday is the way it works in our summer program. But we have a local program right here called our Tri Cities program where you can come out and do day volunteering, where you can mm-hmm. come out and just come on a Saturday with a group and work somewhere. And so there's day volunteering opportunities right here in the Tri Cities area. Uh, most of our other states we work in, though, that that's more of a week-long experience where you come and spend the night, s- sleep in a sleeping bag on an, on an air mattress on a gym floor somewhere. It's uh, very inviting to a lot of yeah. folks to do that. But it's amazing how a week of that really, really does change your life, though. You kind of just get yourself away from all the stuff that distracts you, and you start sometimes to see life for what it really is like, and it's an eye-opener. And I bet the relationships you form with other volunteers are incredible. Amazing, amazing. It reminds me of like a mission trip or a camp. Yes. If you would spend mm-hmm. a week there. Like mm-hmm. I've had experience with that and the friendships you make are incredible. They, they, they really are. And, you know, we love the interplay of churches sometimes. I, I walked into a center one night and, I mean, there was like four different churches there and four different denominations, right? Mm-hmm. And so... And these kids were like just learning from one another, and 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 I did a lot, I do a lot of kidding around with it, you know, because I'm a Baptist, but um, you know, by and large, about half of our volunteers are Methodist because we kind of came out of the Methodist Church is where we were born years ago yeah. as an organization, but we have Presbyterians and Catholics, and and we have non-church groups right that come as well, and we we have Jewish groups that come and. Uh, we, you know, it, it's we're very ecumenical that way, and so I often kid and, and say, look, I don't care what abomination, I mean denomination you come from, <laughs> you know. Um, all I see are what? The children of God out doing good work uh, for the kingdom of God. How badly are you in need of teen volunteers and help? And well, I mean, uh, as I said earlier, we have 6,000 applications on file. I mean, we could use all the volunteers we could ever get. I mean, we really could. I mean, we, I mean, 
Well, you know, if things when things get back to normal, right after the pandemic, um, we're you know we would normally have twelve to thirteen thousand volunteers. We could have forty five or fifty thousand volunteers a year, and still not take care of all the applications for help we get. Yeah, it's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it's a shame a little bit, right? Yeah, it's richest country, richest country in the world, and yet we still have twenty percent of our population that that struggles every day um, to, to just live a good and healthy life. And would you say as people living in Appalachia that, you know, a place typically thought of as a higher poverty area, do you think that we have a greater responsibility? Uh, because these things are really, like you said, basically in our backyard. Right. I mean, I think so. I mean, we're to love our neighbor, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, when we know... I mean, this was kind of my spiel to some groups down in Knoxville one time. I said, do you realize that you just, you can drive 50 miles from here up to Hancock County and be in the the lowest income area of the state? And it's just 50 miles from me. In other words, if you'll take time to drive an hour, you can really serve and make a difference in a family's life. Gets kind of convicting when you say it that yeah. way, doesn't it? Now, that said, I think we also have a responsibility, though, to show the rest of the world that, you know, living in poverty is not a, a sentence to a, a, a horrible life either, right? I mean, we go, I, we visit a lot of these families, and and a lot of our volunteers learn that, that, that money isn't everything, right? They'll visit families that are happy, they're singing songs together, they're putting puzzles they're playing all that and they're living a, a happy life that's so true right and uh and and it teaches them wow why are they so happy and and the issue is well it's not about things it's about people it's about relationships right and they've got that figured out because they don't have things right so you know they have each other and and they 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 you know can teach us a lot of lessons that way uh that don't ever let things become more important than people and yeah. uh so we, we can we can witness that to folks as well and and but let me here let me say this though I'm not saying poverty's necessarily a good thing though because even without the things they're also without the health care without adequate living conditions without a good diet and things like that so so poverty's still a killer right? It is still a killer. Absolutely. So I don't ever want to glorify poverty, but some people have learned though the value of relationships because they don't have things. And I think that's a valuable relationship, a valuable lesson that we all need to learn. It's not romanticizing it by saying no. that those people yeah. are, are full of joy and love one another, but it is important to fix a leaking ceiling. Yes. It's, yes. it's appreciating the fact that there are people who are vastly more wealthy than they are that on paper you would think that they would be vastly more happy than them and yet they're some of the most unhappy that's people right. in the world that's right yeah because once you buy into things make you happy you can never get enough stuff yeah right you can never get enough stuff and yeah. and things won't love you back people do right? you talked you talked about temporary help versus permanent change yeah. you know just simply helping right. someone fix something versus right. changing their life their outlook Right. How can teens apply that and take a lesson from it in their own life every day? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's one of, you know, I have a few, like, 
life rules that I live by, right? And and uh, sometimes, you know, the the most blessed thing you can do is to give a cup of cold water in a person's moment of thirst, right? That is a good thing to do. But an even better thing to do is to create different conditions where that person's never thirsty again, right? And so... Exactly. Right? And so, so both are good. But we can't let one... The first one, giving a cup of cold water when someone needs something to drink, we can't let it become the all-encompassing thing that we do. While we give temporary solutions, we always need to be seeking permanent answers, always. And if we let just temporary solutions, uh, temporary answers be uh, be our course of life, we're never really changing the world. Nothing In fact, achieved. we're reinforcing the conditions that are there because we're just giving temporary relief and the conditions go on and on where we give temporary relief, but we do it with the view of trying to figure out what is a permanent solution here. And uh, that's the way life uh, needs to be in, in every facet. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now we don't want to be blinded by big solutions though. I, I often tell people this too, you know, it's easy to say that you love the world. It's a lot harder to say, you love the person that lives right next door to you, right? I always say, don't love in general, love in the particular. It's easy for us to say, I love people. Okay, well, show me by loving individuals. And so sometimes when we look at the big answers, we fail to do the individual little things we need to do along the way. So by loving people, particularly by doing the steps that need to be done to come to long-term solutions, that's why I love your generation. You guys got it. I mean... If you're for a good environment, you live it in your personal life, right? Uh, you know, where, uh, you know, a lot of people crusade and virtue signal and wave their flags that they're for the environment, but then they live life like everybody else and create a lot of waste and have a big carbon footprint and things like that. And so, so you got to do both, right? You got to look you for do. the long term and you got to do it individually and in small. So awesome. Do that person a favor, offer them a glass of water, but yeah. drill a well for them. Yeah. Right. Contribute to the big picture as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So as we start the wrap up, I want to know what do you think is next for Appalachian Service Project? Well, I mean, we live in a day of partnership. Um, just had a, a meeting last week with several other agencies in the area, great places, you know, Habitat for Humanity, Eastern Aid. Uh, the Development District, uh, Johnson City Housing Authority. I think we live in a time where partnerships and cooperation ha and collaboration have to take place. There is a synergy that happens from partnering with others that creates a product that you could not do individually by yourselves. And so it's like, you know, the old thing where you can take one horse, can pull a certain amount of load, and but two horses together can pull more than the two can individually. There's a synergy that happens from that. And I think we live in, a, in an age where partnerships have to take place, collaboration has to take place, to where we have a synergy that multiplies our efforts beyond what we can do individually. And yeah. I think that relates to organizations as well like ours. 
So partnering in the future with different organizations. On a bigger scale, we part, you know, we partnered in the past with people like Mennonite Disaster Services or Christian um, Aid Ministries. These are worldwide organizations or Samaritan's Purse, mm-hmm. you know, and partnering, I think, really is uh, the future for many nonprofit organizations and agencies because it'll just make our dollars go further Hello. Oop. Did something happen there? Yep. <laughs> we just lost everything. <laughs> Is I it can't. still recording? Are we still recording? Okay. Though? Can we like just like start back where we were? Okay. Do you remember what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know where we were. So. <laughs> okay. So last, the last thing I want to sure. ask you is from your perspective, what can teens be doing in their own communities to benefit the greater good? Yeah. I, I think just, volunteering and having an attitude of service, right? Um, understanding that um, that there's always something you can do uh, to make a difference in your community, whether it be volunteering at, at uh, some kind of, uh, you know, food ministry or something like that, packing boxes for families or serving meals, uh, to volunteering with organizations like ASP to go and, you know, repair and work on homes, uh, having a, a, just an attitude of service and being open to opportunities that happen or that are around you that you may not have been aware of in the past. I think if you just look, you know, today with the internet, you can go on and you can seek out opportunities to serve. And I just think having an attitude that you want to contribute rather than just take from your community yeah. and through services, the, the biggest thing. Um, and I, I, I'm very hopeful when I look at uh, uh, our, our younger generation right now because they are all about if you're going to stand for something, you need to live it in your personal life. Right. <clears throat> and I think that's very hopeful for the future. And I think we'll see a lot of community involvement uh, through, uh, uh, through the couple generations that are younger than me and uh i'm very hopeful for that that communities will take care of themselves i'll be honest i don't like having to have youth come from other parts of the country you know to come and work in appalachia i would rather all of our volunteers come from appalachia right and so that would be a great goal if we could make that happen yeah So. so as we wrap up would you like to our audience know anything else before we sure i mean if you want to know more about asp i'll just give our our web address um www.asphome.org org and you can just go to that website find anything we are on facebook you can uh, friend our site on facebook uh in fact if you if you do a search on facebook you'll not only find our main office but you'll find all the different centers that we will have around appalachia this summer uh, from places you know like uh, like Jonesville, Virginia, to uh, Kanawha County, uh, West Virginia. So if you look at those sites, you can actually see almost on a daily basis the work that we're going to be doing all summer long. So either through Facebook or our website is the best way to learn about us. If people want to personally contact you, where can they go? Yeah, they can uh, just, you know, if they go to our, our website, they can find my phone number on the website. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I actually use my personal cell number. A lot of people find that's hard to believe that, 
that I'm open to that. But the, but honestly, I mean, they can contact me personally if they really want to by going to the website and they'll find my phone number there. I guess I would throw it out. It's okay to throw it out here. Sure. Yeah, it's a, uh, I have a different area code because I originally come from Jeff County. And so uh, 865-368-9380. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening to Doing Good, the podcast. And you can find us if you'd like to hear more at our website at we'redoinggood.com or on Facebook or Instagram at We're Doing Good. So please like our pages and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We all have something that we can be doing. So just take the first step. Everybody show some love and do some good. Have a great day.